We hope you enjoy listening to this podcast of St. Louis on the Air, brought to you by University College at Washington University. With undergraduate and graduate programs, part-time, evening, and online. University College at Washington University, offering world-class education within reach. Welcome to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Don Marsh. Choral music aficionados will probably concede that the St. Louis Cathedral Basilica is the place to be tonight. Chanticleer, one of the world's premier men's choral groups, is performing there now. It's in its 40th year. The Grammy Award-winning ensemble performs tonight at 8 o'clock. And joining me in studio are Jared Pagenkoff. He's the countertenor and assistant music director in his fourth season with the organization. Brian Hinman is the ensemble's road manager. He's been a part of the group for some 13 years now. Gentlemen, thanks so much for being with us. Thanks for having us. You've been been around for a long time. Is there a better place, Brian, a better place to perform than the Cathedral Basilica in St. Louis? Well, I think being here in St. Louis, the answer is no. <laughs> um, no, there there are many beautiful, uh, beautiful acoustics in the world that we have sung in, but uh, the the cathedral really is is at the top of the list for sure in in beauty and in acoustic. It's it's marvelous. Jared, you've performed there before then. I have, just about two years ago. Really. Um, I had a conversation with a representative from the St. Louis uh, Chamber Court, a a choral music group uh, the other day, and the question of acoustics is one we talked about and how they can change. Why don't you tell me, Jared, if you would, what the acoustics mean to a a group like yours and how they can change even in the same venue? Well, we are a completely a cappella group. We do not sing with any amount of uh, amplification. It's just us using our voices. Um, the basilica uh, is covered in marble, so when you sing, the sound just kind of bounces around everywhere. Um, it can be sometimes difficult for us in front because we can't always hear what it sounds like out in the audience. Um, but by all accounts, uh, the feedback we get is that it, it sounds really good in the in the sanctuary. Um, obviously, different voices coming into the ensemble changes the acoustic. Uh, the amount of people who are sitting in the uh, pews changes the acoustic. Um, if people have big fur coats or are not wearing much of anything, that changes the acoustic. But it's uh, it's always um, we like to say that's kind of our thirteenth member in the ensemble mm-hmm. is is that acoustic is to figure out how we have to sing with that right. member. Brian, what can you tell of the of the history of the group? Forty years is a long time. How is how has the organization changed and the the whole uh, mo changed over forty years? Well, the organization began um, with our founder Louis Botto studying early music um, back in uh, in the late seventies. Um, at that time, much of what much of the Renaissance choral music that people were singing um, were doing so in mixed voice groups with with men and women. He learned in his studies that, of course, um, most of that music written for the church was sung by all men or or men and boys, um, and he hadn't he hadn't really heard what that sounded like, and so he got together a, a group of his his friends, um, many of whom were countertenors and could mm-hmm. sing the, the the female parts, if you will, the soprano and alto, and and he, that's how the organization began to sing Renaissance music primarily um, throughout the eighties. That 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 expanded um, to include folk songs and gospel and jazz. And over the, the course of 40 years, we have we have added commissioning to our mission. Mm. Um, so we're getting new prominent, um, as well as young and upcoming composers writing music specifically for us. Um, 
so we're trying we're trying constantly to um, to increase and expand the the choral repertoire um, and and try and keep it relevant. We're going to hear some examples of it before we are finished here. But but where do your uh, singers come from, Jared? I mean. Um, I'm sure there are a lot of people who would like to be a part of this group. It's so prestigious. Yes. Um, our singers are from all over the United States. We have gentlemen from as far east as Maryland in the D.C. area, and we have men from California and everywhere in between. Um, we, we do audition every year, and we receive between 60 and 75 auditions, uh, audition packages, and we listen to about 10 to 12 of those guys who we think might, might actually have what it takes to be in the group. But... Um, yeah, it's it's a wide variety of, of men of, of varying ages and, and backgrounds. How long do they normally stay with the group? It varies. I mean, we had our, our la- uh, bass, our very famous bass, Eric Torre, was in this group for 28 seasons. Um, Eric, Brian has been in the group for 13 with three other guys. Um, and we have some guys that have been four, three, two. And we have a gentleman who's been in for two months. Mm. So a, a wide range. It must take an awful lot of time. You do a lot of touring. Brian, uh, do you have a day job aside, <laughs> aside from this? No, certainly. This is a, as full-time as I right. can imagine. We, right. um, we are on the road about half of the year, off and on. Um, it, uh, w- and when we're at home, we're rehearsing uh, four hours a day, five days a week um, together. But then we go home and we, we work on that music on our own. Um, we're, but when you add in all of those things, the traveling, the um, Recording, educating, we, we go, um, we have education as a huge part of our mission as well. Uh, as a group, we, we go and, and work with students um, and, and choral musicians. Um, so it's, it's exhausting. It keeps us very busy, but it's, a, it's a, a marvelous job. What kind of a program do you have planned for tonight? Um, tonight is an all-sacred program uh, entitled "Upon This Rock." Uh, the being at the cathedral, it seems, uh, it seems appropriate to to sing all sacred music, um, and we'll be singing uh, music from from the Renaissance up into uh, to some some 20th century spiritual and gospel music as well. Um, a couple of, of highlights, I'd say, are uh, maybe the two centerpieces are a, a short mass by Palestrina. Um, and um, a setting of four four prayers by Saint Francis of Assisi um, by Francis Poulenc. Um, that's a that's a, a men's chorus piece that is just it's, it's stunning. Right. Let's give a listen to some of what you have done and can do. And I will ask you, um, Jared. Our first uh, selection is going to be Salve Regina. Is the way I pronounce it. I mm-hmm. hope I'm close enough. Yeah. What can you tell us about that? Uh, Salve Regina, this setting is by a Mexican composer named Antonio de Salazar, and he was a uh, what we would consider a, a Baroque composer. He was born in 1650. Um, he was largely famous I- for being uh, at the Puebla Cathedral, which was one of the richest cathedrals in Mexico in the 17th century. Um, and this piece was found for us by a gentleman named Craig Russell, who is a, a musicology professor at Cal Poly. And he basically went to the cathedral and found this manuscript in the basement somewhere, I presume, and he unearthed it quite literally, and he put all the parts together, and um, and and we sing it, and it's just a marvelous setting by a relatively unknown composer. Brian, anything in particular we should be looking for or listening for? Yeah, sure. It's it's. Uh, did you mention it's a double choir piece? Um, and so there are, th- we we break ourselves into into 
two groups. Um, and the way that the, the, the choirs play off of each other. Um, and one, one characteristic of Renaissance music is, is that feeling of uh, suspension and release, um, and that dissonance. Um, and that they were very careful about how they used dissonance in the Renaissance, um, but he uses it to to marvelous effect to really get that that sort of yearning and 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 uh, sadness through. It's uh, it's a remarkable piece of music. Let's listen to a minute or two of it. Jared, two things come to mind. Number one is I can see why you'd have to rehearse four hours a day and how soothing that music is. Mm-hmm. I mean, what, how uplifting it must have been and calming and, again, soothing for the audience of the day in which it was initially performed. Exactly. Um, it, you can tell it's, it, I mean, it's one of those Marian antiphons. It's just, you know, to thee we cry for, for help, and it, but it's, it's, it's very calming, very soothing. And if you can imagine it, you know, that sound just kind of resonating in the Pueblo Cathedral, just, you know, you know surrounding the listeners. It's, it's, it's a, a marvelous, marvelous piece. And to think that these were composers that were largely self-taught. They, they didn't have, you know, the formal training that, say, Victoria or Palestrina had. Yeah. Brian, what about the impact on the singers when performing something like this? Oh, it's, hmm, that, it, it's transforming. It, to be able to sing music like this um, that has, that has, has lasted 400 years, um, it's, I guess it's transporting it to be able to to combine and and carry that message in in an appropriate space to an audience that typically you can see on their faces the, the how it affects them. Uh, it's well, it's hard to describe clearly. <laughs> how how and why did you get into this? Oh, I was singing since I was a kid, um, and I w- and I started singing in choirs. Um, and I have to say that when I was studying music in college, um, I I loved Chanticleer. I, I held Chanticleer as 
as one of the pinnacles of of what choral music could be. I was such an admirer of of what they did. Um, And if you had asked me, I would have told you that this would be a dream job. I then saw Chanticleer live and thought, oh my gosh, I will never have the control over mm-hmm. my voice the way that those guys do. I will never be able to, to do that. And it's a dream that I just set aside. Um, well, you grow when you don't realize that you're, um, that you're, you're gaining experience and, and learning things. And uh, I met a, uh, a gentleman who, who was a part of the group for many years in the 90s, and he suggested I audition. And I thought, oh, well, maybe I'll give it a shot. Um, and so uh, choral music just has always been a part of my life um, while, I, while I was pursuing other areas of performance. Um, th- choral music was a constant. Um, so now to be able to do that full time as a, as, a, as a profession is, is incomparable. Jared, how about you? What is your story? It's actually very similar to Brian's. I, I, I kind of thought yeah, it might I think be. <laughs> most of us that are in Chanticleer have a recollection of hearing the group at some point in our formative college years, I guess. Um, and uh, for me, I, 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 I did hold Chanticleer in very high esteem. And then I went off and did other things. I kind of pursued a solo career as, a, as a, an opera singer. And then I, I got, did a lot of early music in Boston. And then the opportunity arose to join Chanticleer. And it was kind of like a forgotten dream. And I thought, oh, I forgot about that. So mm. yes, I want to do that. Um, and I, I agree with Brian. I think to this day, I, I still call it a dream job. It's a lot of work, and it's it's sometimes very frustrating. But I can't imagine my doing anything else. What about the name Chanticleer? I mean, uh, when I think of that name, I think of a rooster, and that rooster is not a very musical bird. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but he did sing. Um, the name was taken from from um, Chaucer's Canterbury Tales. Um, the the, in the nun's priest tale, the the clear singing rooster was named Chanticleer. Um, it just so happened that one of the original members was reading Canterbury Tales um, as they were trying to decide, well, what do we call this group? And he suggested Chanticleer. And all of us being men and the male <laughs> rooster singing loudly, it just it seemed to them to fit. How many groups such as yours? Now, I know you're at a special, special level. Are there uh, performing in the country today? When I think of a men's chorus, I think of the Don Cossack Choir, the Russians. Oh, yeah, of And course. that's a very, very powerful sound, but it's a much larger group than yours, for instance. It is. Um, well, there actually is, as to my knowledge, there is only one other group in, in the United States of, of male singers who do this full time. Uh, it's a group called Contus from Minnesota. Um, and I, I believe that if you asked them, they, they also took their inspiration from Chanticleer. Um, and Chanticleer, who knows, may have taken their inspiration from, from a group that was 10 years older than us, the King's Singers. Mm. Um, but in the country, there are very few opportunities for choral music singers to to be employed full time doing this. Um, that's that's the only group I can think of at the moment. Right. I want to come back to the music because we have something that is quite special. I think we're going to play something from George Gershwin, uh, alluding to your fact that your repertoire has uh, has changed and expanded somewhat since it all started. Uh, and I, I looked at it's going to be summertime when we play it, but I was looking at at my notes here. And I had forgotten that George Gershwin 
only lived to be 39 years old. Isn't that? You know, what, uh, what might have been accomplished had he lived a normal lifetime to think he did what he did in just uh, that brief period of time? It's incredible. It is incredible. Yeah. Um, if I may say about this recording, um, first of all, this is we, we won't be singing this tonight. Um, it's on our forthcoming album called Then and There, Here and Now, celebrating our 40th anniversary. And um, this is a this is a very simple arrangement uh, in a in a jazz style by um, by Kirby Shaw, who is is known for for uh, writing very nice uh, accessible arrangements. Um, and this really, I think, is a, a, f- a feature for our, our standout, uh, one of our standout countertenors. His name is Cortez Mitchell. Um, the, the soloist that you hear, let me just remind you, is a man. I had uh, difficulty believing that when I heard <laughs> that. But this is Summertime by George Gershwin, of course, from Porgy and Bess. Summertime by George Gershwin, as performed by Chanticleer. Um, are you going to be doing more of this sort of thing, uh, more of the modern contemporary music, do you think, as, uh, as time goes by? Or are you going to stay with your roots? I think the, the, the great thing about what we do now is that we do, we do everything. We mm. do um, typically do a lot of Renaissance music on our programs, and we kind of move ahead to, to contemporary. So, I mean, really, if you come to a Chanticleer concert, you are going to hear everything from our roots to what we do today. And that's part of the reason why our CD is called Then and There, Here and Now. Album, excuse me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, because it's a representation of what we did then and there and what we do now and here. So it's, it's kind of one of the cool things we do. We're not just a Renaissance ensemble. We're not just a modern jazz ensemble. Only a few seconds left, though. But as you travel around the country, you do change the program from venue to venue, such as Today you're at the Cathedral Basilica, so mm-hmm. it's going to be more of a religious uh, thing. That's right, um, and and uh, typically we we do a program as as Jared suggested that has a wide variety of things. Okay, well it's going to be happening tonight at eight o'clock at the Cathedral Basilica on Lindell. Uh, Chanticleer, thank you so much, so much, gentlemen, for being with us. It's been a pleasure talking to you and listening to your music in particular. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU.